Matthew chapter 5 today. And I got cataract surgery back this fall, and I have to wear these glasses to read, so that's why I'm doing it. Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> and it's uh, my title of the sermon is How to Be Happy. Actually, it's more than happy. So let's read it first. Sermon on the Mount was the greatest sermon ever preached, and Jesus preached it. And it's a lot more than just the Beatitudes that we're going to be talking about today. But all I'm going to be talking about is the Beatitudes. And we're going to just talk about the eight of them and give an overview of them, a short uh, talk about each one of them. I'm sure Nick could take any one of them and preach for a whole period of time there. So now when he saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because the Great is your reward in heaven, for in the, name, in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. Okay, I'm going to say a few things here in my introduction to this, the Beatitudes. The name of the sermon is How to Be Happy, actually more than happy. Beatitudes are called the beautiful attitudes, and Beatitude means more, blessed means more than happy. You know, happiness only lasts for a short while, but Jesus is saying blessed in this. First of all, I'm going to talk about the world we're living in today and how you're going to have to learn to do some things in order to be happy. We're living in some perilous times compared to the 1960s when I graduated. Some of you old school folks in here can remember that. Country today, back when I graduated, I, you know, people went to college, got a good job. If you didn't go to college, you get a good job. Uh, class, my class, I was in a 3A high school. Most of the people in the class, divorce was never heard of, hardly ever. And uh, wasn't a lot of murders and stuff that we see today going on. But the country today is a little bit different, quite a bit different. The country is more divided than I've ever seen it. you got rioting on college campuses. You see that every day. Just if, you don't, if, if a speaker comes to a college campus and they don't like what you have to say, they'll just beat you up, and throw chairs through windows and do all that kind of stuff. you got drugs everywhere. you got the opioid crisis. People taking drugs left and right, shortening the lifetime. you got... Murder rate up substantially. Murders in inner cities used to be where most of the murders occurred. Now they're occurring everywhere. 
boy got shot down here in Camden a couple of weeks ago just riding his motorcycle. They just shot him down out there in the highway. You got socialism. Our country is, uh, half the country wants to be socialist. I don't know what socialism is, what we fought most of our wars against. Socialism is the same as communism, except communism is bloodshed. Socialism is rules, regulations, and so forth, where they just finally take your freedoms away from you and let the government control you. So we're there. We're on that way. We're close. Moral decline. Divorce rate 60%, Christians and non-Christians in America. Like I said, back in the 60s when I went to school, hardly ever heard of a divorce. I taught school in public school and private school. And in the last few years, I had 25 kids in my private school class, and out of the 25, I think 15 of them had been divorced, their parents had. So it's pretty high, doesn't matter where you are. Abortion's on demand now. It was, you know, you could abort the baby after so many months. Now you can have that baby, and if you don't like him, you can take him to a full term and let him be born and just lay, and put him away, and if you don't want him, you can just let him die. That's where it is in Virginia and New York. Same-sex marriage legalized by court order. Most of the people in America don't want it, but the judges ruling from the bench has said it's okay. Transgender problem. People just decide what sex they want to be, and most boys decide they want to be girls, and they're racing these girls in these races, and they're beating them. These girls train hard, and they get beat by these boys, and they have these scholarships lined up, and they don't get them because they don't win. This is crazy, but this is where we are. Police are being shot left and right. No respect for authority. Educational breakdown. Graduation rates about a little above 50% in public schools. You got bullying, you got bullying on the internet. Some students are killing themselves because they don't feel, you know, popular. You got teenage suicide rates way up. You got campus shootings. This goes from kindergarten through college. You know that. This happened in the last 10 years. Lots of people get shot. Court rulings against Christians. Chick-fil-A, Hobby Lobby, the wedding cake folks out there and somewhere in New Mexico, Arizona, I don't know where it was, but they all said, we just kind of think God says you got this marriage between a man and a woman. If you say that, they're going to say you're a hater and they're going to say you're not tolerant. So, as a Christian, this puts us in a bad situation. We don't love the people, but if you say what God says, then they're going to say that you hate us because you don't agree with that. I don't know whether it's going to get any better or not. I just know that it will be when Jesus comes, but I don't know if it's going to get any better in the near future. I know we have a president that says we're going to make America great again, but I don't think that's going to be the answer. It looks like it's better than it was, but it probably won't last for a long time. You're saying, well, what about all this, Philip? You up here telling us all this in the sermons how to be happy. So we're going to the Beatitudes, folks. Matthew 5, I just read them. There are eight of them. The first four is man's relationship to God, and the second four is man's relationship to other people. So we're going to take them one at a time, and we're going to talk about them. But first of all, I'm going to tell you a little something about them. The word blessed is used throughout the Beatitudes. Jesus' term, blessed, means more than happy. So blessed is going to be used throughout 
the talk with the Beatitudes. Beatitudes are in, are in direct conflict with worldly values. Compare the Beatitudes to the worldly values, and this is where you do. World says happy is food, drugs, sex, partying, all sorts of entertainment. We're entertaining ourselves to death, folks. We're eating ourselves to death. The main problems we have today is diabetes and heart trouble. But the drugs, we are over-medicated whether you take legal or illegal drugs. You know the sex part, pornography is what? A billion, multi-billion dollar business? Uh, prostitution is big business. That's, that's the sex part. Partying, entertainment, you look at TV and you see how many sporting events and they're full. You look at churches and they are not. World says happy is how many likes you get on Facebook. You want, to be, you want to be accepted by the people, so that means that you're happy when you look there and say, man, they like this, they like what I'm doing here. You're not worried about what God says, but you're kind of worried about what the people say. <clears throat> also happy, the world says happy is a good job, a nice home, nice vehicle, nice clothes, vacation retreat. Good place to hunt. That's happy. That's what the world says. Bottom line, world says, if things are good, I am happy. But if things are bad, I am depressed, agitated, and angry. I might just go out and shoot somebody. Is that right? That's what the world says. They said, you know, you see that every day. Mass people killing lots of folks because they're not happy. They got fired on the job or something didn't go right, and they just go kill a bunch of people. That's where we are, and that's what the world, that's the world, folks. That's not God's way, that's the world's way. Hollywood has all the stuff that we talk about. They have all this stuff. They have the fame, the fortune, the power, the good homes, the cars, and all that stuff. But you realize Hollywood has the highest suicide rate of any place in the world. More people kill themselves in Hollywood, California than they do anywhere else in the world. They do. So if all that stuff that you think is going to make you happy, then maybe you better look over there and say, well, it's not working for them. God says circumstances got nothing to do with being happy. It's found in a specific place, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And a lot of folks ain't getting it. Is it our job? Are we fighting them? I don't know. But the Beatitudes says, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's the first one. You can say poor in spirit is poverty of spirit. For theirs is going to be the kingdom of heaven. This is the first Beatitude, and Jesus put it first because he said it's the most important. Look what he says. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's more or less saying, if you don't get this one right, you may not be going to heaven. Do y'all understand that? It's very important. It says... <clears throat> This is opposite of pride and self-righteousness, this beatitude. Poverty of spirit or poor in spirit is opposite of pride and self-righteousness. You cannot be a child of God without realizing you are a sinner. I don't care if you teach Sunday school, you tithe, you do the Awana thing, you do the church thing, you serve in the church, you do all this. I want to say one thing in saying all this. I love my church. The numbers are small in this church. <laughs> They're even smaller today. 
a lot of people on vacation. But this church has a higher percentage ratio of people serving than any church I've been around in a while. We may not have but 50, 65, but I guarantee you 40 of them is going to be doing something when something needs to be done. I've been in some churches where the attendance was much greater. And I was affiliated with one here not too long ago was running 130 to 150 folks. And they had a ministry there in this town and only four families showed up. Do you want a church a mile wide and an inch deep or do you want one that's deep searching for the gospel? I think our pastor is doing a great job here in trying to give us opportunities to serve. And so um, to just get that out of the way, give Nick some credit in this church for being a, a church that wants to serve. But those are good things, what I just read. But those good things are not going to get you into heaven. Isaiah says, our righteousness is as filthy rags. He says, woe am, am I because I am a man of unclean lips among people of unclean lips. We are sinners. Every day we are sinners. We want to do good deeds because Jesus Christ went to the cross and shed his blood on the cross and died a horrible death and arose on the third day for our sins. He bled for us. His blood covers us. That's what makes us right. But our righteousness is filthy rags. And if you think just because you do some of those things I just named that you're okay, you're not. Jesus says in that also, he says, many come to me and said, Lord, Lord, did we not do this, that, and the other? He said, get away from me because you evildoers, because you didn't do the right thing. The right thing is believe that Jesus Christ went to the cross and that's what saves you. That's poverty of spirit, folks. You realize you have no way to get to heaven except because of what Jesus did. So if you think that way, that keeps you from going around judging other people because you say, I'm the sinner. Only way I get there is because of what he did. So I can't go judge other people. You want to tell your brothers and sisters Christ to get back on the right track? But don't think that you are more righteous than they are because you aren't. Your good works, you do them because of what Jesus did for you, because of your love and thanks for what God did by sending his only son down here. But as far as getting you to heaven, it's not going to get you there. Uh, keeps us humble as Christians, not hypocritical. I was ministering, witnessing to a guy about four years ago. He was 88 years old. And I asked him if he died today, would he get to heaven? He said, yes, I, I think I would. I said, why? He said, because I'm a pretty good person. I said, why? He said, well, I was over in Greene County one day, and this man had a flat tire, and I helped him take that tire to, to the station and get it changed. And while I was there, I bought him a hamburger. He said, I'm a pretty good person. He don't have poverty of spirit, folks. He don't have poor in spirit because he thinks he's a good person. Satan wants you to think that because he's right there. He said, this guy, he ain't got it. I'm going to get him one day. You got me? So that's why Jesus says it's so important for that to be the first one because if you don't have poverty of spirit, if you're not poor in spirit and realize what God did for you, then you, you're, you're not going to heaven. But if you realize that, you'll be there. When we realize how sinful we are and how gracious God is, then and only then will the kingdom of heaven be ours. It's not about us. It's about him. It took me years to figure this out. 
But it's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ and him crucified. And it's about God and his kingdom. You know, when my kingdom come, it will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Beatitude number two. It says, that's Matthew 5, 4. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Does not mean Christians mourning over difficulties of life. Don't mean like, some of my old buddies walk around, my neck hurts, my back hurts, my arm hurts, I got this, I got that. Nobody, we like to talk to each other about that. Y'all know who I'm talking about. Where's Sammy Coates? He's back there. <laughs> and nobody wants to hear a whining Christian. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear your problems. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about mourning, that kind of mourning. The, kind of, with the type of mourning that we're talking, Jesus is talking about is mourning over lost people going to hell. I think most of these people in this church, like I said, they serve, and you're mourning. When you see kids come into Bible school, do you say, those kids are at Bible school, and I'm going to be doing what I can to teach them about Jesus Christ, and I don't want to see them go to hell. I want to see them understand this. I am concerned because they may not get it anywhere else. You... That's one thing. When you do a wanna, you're sitting there saying, I want these kids to learn Bible scripture so they can carry it with them later on in life. I hope it comes back to them. Do you have, are you worried about people that you work with? Do you work with them every day and never tell them anything about Jesus? If you don't tell them about Jesus, then you're not mourning in the right way. If you say, I can work with you the rest of my life and never say anything about Jesus, God's going to hold you accountable for that. What about people political parties? I have trouble with that, folks. I'm having trouble with that. They don't see things like I see it. And I'm asking God all the time to help me understand it and be willing to love these people that I don't agree with. Do you understand it? But i got to love them. God says love everybody. Love the person, hate the sin. You're going to have to have a lot of help there with the Holy Spirit, but you've got to be willing to want to. All right, you don't want to see anybody go to hell. If you are following God, you are thinking about people, and you are saying, what can I do to further his kingdom? What about another way of mourning? Mourning over Christians being slaughtered all over the world. Mothers in Eastern, Middle Eastern countries, Christians are being slaughtered all over the world. In Mosul, Iraq, Three or four years ago, there was two million Christians. Today, there's only 200,000. These families have been separated. ISIS has been taking care of the last couple in the last year, but up until then, they were killing Christians. They were beheading them. They were taking their daughters and selling them as sex slaves. They were raping their mothers, and the boys were being made to serve in a military that they didn't want to. That was just one example of Christians being persecuted. Do we ever think about that? Do you ever pray for them? Let me tell you something. You better be praying for them because they have put it on the line. They have given their lives for the kingdom. And when they get to heaven, who do you think is going to be telling you what to do? I guarantee you I'm going to be, I know I'm going to heaven because Jesus' blood covers me. But I'll be out there sweeping and they'll be telling me what to do because they paid more than I did. Y'all understand that? They're going to get the crowns. 
But pray for them. Send money in. Get involved. Victims of martyrs. If you want to help somebody, look up victim of, victims of martyrs. You will be surprised what Christians do. But one thing that I really, it, it inspires me, the ones that get it put in prison, they stay in there eight, ten years. They get beat. And when they come out, they said, I'll do it again. They said, why? They said, because the power of the Holy Spirit was so much on me and I felt God's presence in such a mighty way that I'm willing to go back through it again. That is a powerful testimony, folks, when somebody is willing to go back to prison after serving for eight or ten years and getting beat up about every once a week. They have it. They got it. They understand it. So think about them. Mourning over babies being aborted. Do we really mourn over them? There's, or if you, you know, do you think about them? Do you mourn over them? I tell you what you can do. You can participate in some of these organizations. You used to have a girl here named Brooke that was head of the right to some organization she had. You remember that, Jimmy Davis? Right for, right for Life. She would put on different things to raise money. I was at another church the last time she was here, but she put on one over there, and I remember, I remember Jimmy Davis and his family won the big races over there, and I was walking. So I remember Beth, who used to be the song director here, she was in it, trying to run pregnant, I think, sprung her ankle. So we had people out there doing stuff. So that's part of it, and they understand that. The second thing you can do if you are concerned about abortion you can demonstrate, you can help out with right to life, or you can go adopt a baby. Ever thought about that? I'm too old. I can talk about this now because I'm too old to do it. But you can, My wife is, you could go adopt a kid. Back in, the, back in the New Testament time when the Roman government was persecuting Christians, you know, they had the same thing Virginia and New York's got. If you don't like the baby, they just take him down to the dump and let him die. Well, the Christians had baby runs. The women who were having children, nursing kids, they would go get these babies off the dump and take it back to the woman nursing and they would raise that kid. We haven't got there yet, folks. I guess a little persecution might get our priorities in the right place. I don't want it. Wait a minute, I'm not praying for persecution, y'all. I'm just saying priorities, when it, that's a good time. That's probably the way God's going to separate the sheep from the goats. When the pressure comes, you don't know. All right. Last thing is mourning over our sins, realizing what Jesus has done for us and how we've let him down. When we mourn over these things, God will know that your heart is right and he will comfort you with the power of the Holy Spirit. He's going to know you're right. Your heart's right because you're mourning over things that counts to him. It's not things that counts to you. Remember I said a minute ago, it's not about us. It's about him and his kingdom. Beatitude number three, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Common belief, a meek person is a person who's weak. No good old boy in Alabama wants to be called meek. Is that right, Daryl? Daryl's a big old guy. Meek is not being a coward. It's not being timid. It's not being spineless. It's not lacking confidence. Meek is a person who is strong and still, but does not boast about it. The greatest example that I can give you about meek is Jesus Christ. When he was getting to be ready to be persecuted... They done spit on him. They done put the crown of thorns on his head. And there he stood before Pilate. And Pilate was sitting there with his, all his might because he was head of a big region in Rome and the Roman Empire there. And he had all the power and authority and the soldiers over here. 
and he was he had all the power on his side and Jesus sit there and let them talk to him that way and do all those bad stuff to him and he didn't do anything. He took it. But he could have called 10,000 angels down there and destroyed the whole bunch, but he didn't. He knew what God asked him to do and he took the power he had and controlled it so that he could finish the, thing, the, the purpose that God had put him down here for. Now, if you are a meek, uh, if you're a meek person then what should you do? All right? A meek person is a gentle Christian. People need to see meekness in Christians today because the world says walk over everybody and the strongest wins. That's what the world says, but God says the meek shall inherit the earth. So if you are going to, you need to see people who are willing to put their lives on the line for other people. Willing to do something put their lives on the line for other people. You need to pe see people who are, will take a stand for something that's not popular, even though God says it's, it's important to me they'll take a stand for what's right. Need to see people that are, need to see us take a stand in, and not be wanting to get people back. You know, say, well, I'll get him back, I'm going to retaliate. No, that's not what meekness is. They don't need to see, they don't need to see heart Harshness means treatment of others in a bad way. They don't need to see always being first. I had to learn this at this church. When they had a eating back there, I always wanted to be first down there. They stopped me from doing that and started making me say the blessing. So I'd stay back. But that was something I had. You know, I, I have a problem with this. I want to be all about me. God's used a lot of things to humble me down. And I, I haven't got there yet, folks. I'm not humble. I'm just trying to let God work in my life. Do y'all understand that? Last one, don't show, excuse me, there's two more. Don't be vengeful, always wanting to get somebody back. And don't show uncontrolled rage over minor things. When you throw a fit over something that's not that important, it's going to mess your witness up. But anyway, when people see us being meek, it draws them to us, and we, they want what we have. So we will be popular. We will inherit the earth. We will be popular here on earth because people like a meek person. It's kind of like there's another sermon there, salt of the earth. People who are salty show meekness and humility. That draws other people to them. When you show harshness and it's all about me, people don't want to be close to you. They may act like it, but they don't. Number four, blessed are those who are hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Said this a minute ago, our world is hungry and thirsting after sex, wealth, violence, excitement, and all that other stuff. Sex, like I said, multi-billion dollar business. Wealth, make all you can and be happy. Violence, we watch more TV today and see murders and adulterers on TV than our grandparents watched in a lifetime. We have seen so much of this that we become numb to it. We see another mass shooting, and what do we do? Well, there's another mass shooting. We had a couple, one a couple weeks ago. We got another one. I'm not getting. This is what we. Do. This is where we are. Most people that are truly hungry and thirsting after righteousness know Christ as their Savior. And these are a couple of points there that I think is very important. If you're gonna, if you're going to be 
If you're going to hunger and thirst after righteousness, then you're going to have to do something to try to get there. But let me tell you something. Righteousness is going to be hard. You're not going to achieve righteousness until when? Until we get to heaven. But God, Jesus said, we're supposed to keep trying. So let's look at this. If you're trying to, to, re, if you're trying to thirst after righteousness, hunger and thirst after righteousness, then one thing is you need to spend more time reading the Bible and praying and memorizing Scripture. Those are the two things that a Christian's got to do in order to get closer to God and understand him more. If I sit here every week, Nick sits up here every week and preaches a great sermon to you. I'm not preaching a great sermon. If Nick preaches a great sermon, which he does, and you take that sermon and it doesn't lead you to do anything else, you're not going to ever get where God wants you to be. You're not going to hunger and thirst after righteousness because if you were hungering and thirsting after righteousness, you would find time to read that Bible and pray. You would find time to read that Bible and memorize Scripture. You say, why should I memorize Scripture? Because Scripture, along with prayer, helps you do things. And when, if you are after hungry and thirsting after righteousness, your job is to try to win people to Christ. You need to have something there that's going to help you do that. If you're praying often, the Holy Spirit is going to be in your life. He's going to be telling you. He's going to be giving you a discerning spirit when to do stuff. If you're not reading that Bible and you only get what the preacher preached once a week for an hour, you're not, getting, you're not going to get where you need to be on this earth walking with God. You say, I don't have time. You better make time. That's more important than anything else you can do. I know y'all, some of y'all, I know when I had kids, but it took me a long time to figure this out. Pray often and lots. Read your Bible. My daughter went through a potential divorce two years ago. I got that prayer book, and I started reading it, and I started praying. I didn't pray for 30 minutes. I prayed for hours. I said, God, you don't want no divorce, and I kept praying. God answered it. Other people were praying too. But you can sit there and not use the most powerful weapon you've got, and you will be, whose fault is that? It's your fault. God says, I'm out there to help you. Show me what, how much you need me. She didn't get a divorce. She's going to church now and working in a small group up in Tuscaloosa, so something good's going on there. Okay. We're still talking about hunger and thirsting after righteousness. This is a long one. The more a person conforms to God's will, the more fulfilled and content he becomes. The more you try to do something for God, the more you find a purpose in doing this. Used to have a prison ministry down here at Uniontown for 12 years. Scotty and Sammy went with me. Some other people from this church at one time went. You can ask them what they thought about it. They didn't want to come back to church because it was the Holy Spirit was working and they saw it. I was excited to go there because I knew we had a purpose. My wife went with me too. She's not in here. She's doing something else, but she's there. All right. I want to tell you something that's happened at prison one time just to see how God was working when we had... 750 prisoners down there. We had about 100 and something coming. And then most of them were Hispanics because back in that day, 
the Hispanics were coming over here to get jobs, but they were getting caught. They wasn't doing it. The border was being patrolled, and they were resting right and left. And we had probably 500 was Hispanic kids, young kids. And we, were, we had nine different preachers, and every week a preacher would preach his turn. Uh, Tyler's daddy that comes here and does the preaching, he was one of the preachers. Bobby Harper was one of the preachers we were having down there. One week, the guy gets preaching, and the interpreter was a Spanish kid, Hispanic kid. He had been shipped to another prison. And they said, we got to get somebody because the preacher, he can't interpret half, there's a hundred-something folks, kids, uh, young men out there. So they went and got a guy back in the barracks and brought him up there. He wasn't even a Christian. He interpreted. The second week, he accepted Christ and became a Christian. He interpreted for the rest of the year. So God's working when you're out there doing something. You have a purpose. Ringing the bell. When you do these good things, you feel good because you are doing something for God's kingdom. And it makes you say, God, I can do, I'm trying to do, you, you did all this for me. This makes me feel good for doing something for you. You know what I like about this church? I did the bell ringing at another church and couldn't get enough people to ring the bell. I had to fill in about six slots. This church, there's a lot of people in here that did it. I'm not, it's a bunch of folks. You know what? I didn't, Nick was in charge of it. I didn't have to fill nothing. It was people wanting to do it. They were wanting to do it. That's, that makes me appreciate my church. The other church had a lot more folks, but nobody wanted to do it. Folks, that's part of being hungry and thirsting after righteousness is wanting to do something for other people. I've been at this church and uh, with older folks like Freddie Webb and Sammy Coates and Ronnie Moore. We built porches. I've been with younger folks like Jimmy and Joe and a couple other people in here. We've done other things like cut firewood for folks, build some more porches, cut grass for people. This is what we're talking about. I want to be involved in a church that's doing these things because when you do these things, it makes you feel like, God, I feel like I have a purpose here on this earth, and that is serving you. And when I do that, I feel good about it. And it says here, the world offers us empty cups, Jesus said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. When you are serving God, that is complete satisfaction, and you will be satisfied. Beatitude number five. The last four deals with man against with other man, man against other people. Blessed are the merciful, they shall see mercy. Okay, mercy does not mean feeling compassion. It means doing something about the situation. We got too many liberals running around here feeling compassion but doing nothing. Okay. When we started the prison ministry, I was at Uniontown Baptist Church and we had a judge in there. He was pretty liberal. And he said, why don't we sit around in the Sunday school class every week and talk about doing something? There's a prison minister down here that needs to do something. And I went home and I said, you know, the man's right. We prayed about it. We got organized. We got accepted there. We had to go do a few, jump through a few hoops to get down there. And we got in there and we started and we got organized. And about three weeks later, he never showed up anymore and he never did anything else there. So what am I saying? Don't just feel compassion about anything like that. Don't feel compassion about abortion. 
do it, like I said, go out there and adopt a baby or march against it. Don't feel bad about the homeless. Go to work in a volunteer soup kitchen. We used to have a bicycle ministry here. Where was it, Sammy Coach? Where was it at? Where did we take the bicycles? You ain't asleep back there, are you? Huh? To where? Jimmy Hale Mission. Okay, if you want to do something, there's people all over the country that come down to the Jimmy Hale Mission every weekend and parks a vehicle or camper trailer out there and helps those folks out. Jimmy Hale Mission is one of the biggest missions in, in Alabama. They try to get people off the streets that are drug addicts and alcoholics, and they try to get them a new start. They run something like 120 folks in there. And they want people helping them all the time. So if you want to go help somebody, go up there. They'll let you help. They're looking for people to help. It's a nonprofit organization, and it's one of the most successful there is. They have less recidivism rate. People don't come back once they do it. We had a bicycle ministry here. We'd get eight or ten bicycles about every two months and take them up there to them so the people who worked could pedal to the closest restaurant to wash dishes or something on a bicycle. But it really impressed me what was going on up there. They had school teachers coming teaching classes. They had people, the Mennonite church would come down from Tennessee and help them on the weekends. They had people serving. They had people going out killing deer and skinning the deer, Joe and taking them up there to feed them, killing every, any kind of wild game they took. There's a ministry there, folks. That is a ministry. So, so that's part of being merciful. Don't just feel bad about the homeless. Go and do something. Mercy also means forgiving someone who's wronged you. You've got to forgive that person who's wronged you, even if they were the ones that was in fault. Some people said, I ain't forgive them. They've got to come ask for forgiveness before I'm going to do that. Well, that ain't going to get you far, folks, in God's way. I said this is not the world's way. This is God's way. Mercy means forgiving those who have wronged you, even though you were the one that, they were the one at fault. Joseph forgave his brothers, even though they put him in prison, throwed him in a ditch. He went through all this. He forgave them. I'm going to give you an example of something that happened to me. Many years ago, I was going to this church. A guy that I got up cows with and stuff, he don't live here anymore, he needed hay. I was selling hay. I had a hay operation down on Highway 80. He said, I need to buy 150 rolls of hay. So I sold him 150 rolls of hay. I let him use my tractor to buy it, to, to load it. I think it amounted to something like about $3,500. I don't remember what it was at that price at that time. But he never paid me back. He was one of my best friends. Now, I could have got mad at him and held a grudge against him and said, he's, you know. So I finally said, look, I went to him. I said, look, our friendship is more than this. If you don't want to pay me back, that's fine. I said, I just want you to know that you owe me that, but I said, I can live without it if you can live without it. He never paid me back, but every time I got my cows up, he brought his trailer. He brought his horse. He did that for five years. I look on the sheet there, and he probably paid me back more. Do you all understand that? But if I'd have held a grudge, what would have happened? I wouldn't have got nothing, and I'd have felt bad about him. We're still on good terms today because of that. I just know it works. I know it works, it says. Jesus, Jesus said this, Matthew 6, not, not in Beatitudes, 
14, verse 14, Jesus said, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. So the bottom line, forgive others and God will forgive you. Also, grudges shorten your life and God will not hear your prayers. So if you want God to hear your prayers, you better be forgiving other folks because you're going to need him. And as long as you don't do that, you have set up a barrier there and he's not going to hear the rest of what you've got to say. Unless you say, please, God, help me to forgive this person. Y'all understand that. Beatitude number six, blessed are the people pure in heart for they shall see God. This, doc, this beatitude is talking about a heart that is totally devoted to God. And I want to tell you this before we get any further, none of us is going to reach that. Do you all understand it? Not why we're here on this earth. A Russian novelist said, first, but more the heart is focused on God, the more we see our sinful state. The more you read the Bible, the more you pray, the more the God is going to reveal to you how much a sinner you are. Do you understand it? He's going to show you. So that keeps you from judging other folks. But also, it's, this is what the Russian novelist says. Wrote a book. I, don't, I didn't know his name. I just put in my sermon here, Russian novelist, because I couldn't pronounce it. He says, I do not know what the heart of a bad man is like, but I do know what the heart of a good man is like, and it is terrible. So it don't matter how good you are, your heart's bad. It's bad. We have bad thoughts. We do all kind of bad. We think bad things all the time. You say, well, bad, thinking bad things don't make it bad. It's when you act on what you think on. And that's what we fight against every day. So what are you going to do? If you, we must cast ourselves on the grace of God. How you, God, you're merciful. You know me. You know my heart's terrible. Please show mercy. You've got to read the Bible, folks, to help you know God. You've got to pray big things and little things. You've got to ask the Holy Spirit to say, Show the condition of my heart, God. Is my heart lusting? Is my heart angry? Is my heart showing malice? Is it showing jealousy? Is it showing envy? Do I put on the fruits of the Spirit every day? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, righteousness, faithfulness, and self-control. Do I put them on every day? Do I think about them? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, righteousness, faithfulness, self-control. Am I walking in the Spirit? Am I trying? Do you put on the armor of God every day? I tell everybody, I think, uh, put on the armor of God, put it on your children. Armor of God, Satan's out there like a roaring lion trying to find who can he devour. You need to put on that armor of God to fight against it. Do you put on the helmet of salvation? I'm saved, I know that. Satan's going to try to tell you not. You have the sword of the Spirit. That's the one that fights against him. You're not going to have the sword of the Spirit unless you read Scripture to fight against him. You've got the belt of truth, the Word of God. You've got the help. You've got the breastplate of righteousness. You know what that is. We just talked about it. You've got the shield of faith to stop the fiery, fiery arrows of Satan. You've got the shoes that both to help you spread the gospel. If you don't put these on every day, how do you think you're going to win the battle out there? These are things that don't take much, folks. It just takes faith to put the thing in action. Think about what you're going to be like in heaven. What you're going to be like in heaven? You're going to be just like God, just like Jesus. You're going to be just like Him. 
You're going to be sanctified. You're going to be righteous. But you're not going to be there until you get there. So what do we got to do down here on earth? You will be like God when you get to heaven, but you got to keep trying on earth and don't give up. It's a daily walk where you die to yourself daily. You got to die to self daily. Paul said, forget about what happened yesterday. Tomorrow is another day. You have already asked God to forgive you for what you did today. You went to sleep. You slept. You got up the next morning and said, God, I want to try to do better. Give me the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me walk with you today. That's what. Sherry Joe, you look at your watch there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I'm just getting. All right. Beatitude number seven. Blessed are the peacemakers. This is Matthew chapter five, verse nine. For they shall be called sons of God. Peacemaking is honest. If there's a problem, he admits it and does not look the other way. He don't just let it slide. Joe Paterno just let it slide. What happened to him? Joe Paterno let it slide. He, he saw what was going on in his football organization, and it cost him big time. When you let things slide, it's going to get worse. Peacemakers will be willing to risk pain in pursuing peace. Pain in trying to reel in a friend that's headed down the wrong path. Not being afraid you may offend him. Some people say, I don't want to talk to him because I might hurt his feelings. He might think I'm too religious, coming on too strong. You're just going to let him go to hell then. Is that what you're going to do? Peacemakers will be willing to do whatever it takes to make things right. You will do something. Sometimes if you're a peacemaker, you will do something if it's wrong, but you will do something to try to, to bring peace back. At least you're trying. If you sit back and do nothing, nothing's going to happen. Peacemaking cannot take place without the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot go to make peace unless you have a discerning spirit. God is saying, I want my children to pursue peace and I will give them the power to do it. That's what you've got to do when you have to pursue peace. You've got to be willing to get out there and, get, and, and take whatever comes even if you, you, might, you, might not, you might hurt somebody's feelings. But it's going to be better. If God tells you to do it, do it. Beatitude number eight is the last one. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the righteous sake, righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Does not say blessed are the persecuted, period. Some Christians feel rejection by others and call it persecution. A lot of times they are rejected by others because they are Selfish, rude, insensitive, or irresponsible, lazy. So they're not really being persecuted. Most people in this church, I haven't seen that. But I have seen it in other churches. Being persecuted for righteousness sake really means, okay, give an example of real persecution. I gave you an example a minute ago. Christians who are being persecuted all over the world simply because they say, I'm not going to renounce my belief in Jesus Christ. And they get sent to prison. They get sent... They get families split up. They even get killed. This goes on. In a, they say more Christians are being persecuted today than the 200 years of the Roman Empire when they were persecuted regularly. But it's more people today, and the country's bigger, but a lot of Christians being persecuted. Other, uh, there are such things as mild persecution. We may face that today. Franklin Graham went to Obama's prayer breakfast about four years ago, and he said that the only way to heaven was... He quoted, said, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he was not invited back. That's mild persecution. Three weeks ago, 
uh, preacher out there in Washington wanted to go to the library. They were having a, a rally for the LGBT group, and he went up there to see it, and they saw him, told him to leave, and he said, I just want to come see it, see what's going on, and they put him in the, in the police car and kept him in after three hours, handcuffed. So that's mild persecution. That's preaching, uh, but most Christians in America are not even going to be mildly persecuted because we live like the world lives. We mock at TV shows where God is mocked. We agree with most people that says most people say all roads lead to heaven, like Muslims, Hindus, and so forth. Jesus says, I am the way. Uh, we immerse ourselves in being entertained. We don't witness. We don't tell anybody about Jesus. We don't mention hell. We don't mention, and many preachers preach name it and claim it. In other words, you do this, send your money in, God's going to bless you. That ain't true. Our preacher don't preach that every week. He preaches that if you follow me, you're going to be persecuted. That's what Jesus says. So don't, if you do all the things above, you're probably not going to be persecuted. If you don't witness, you don't, if you don't, uh, if you believe all roads lead to hell, I mean heaven, and if you don't immerse yourselves in, in, in thinking about going to the next party, the next vacation, and being entertained, if you don't go to church and you don't witness and you don't, and you watch TV shows that's not conducive to Christianity, then you're probably not going to be persecuted. You won't ever have to worry about it, but you may have to worry about going to hell. So the point is, is I, summing up this whole thing, as Christians, we must see it a little bit different from the rest of the world. We must be willing to give when others take. We must be willing to love when others hate. We must be willing to help when others abuse. We must give up our own rights by serving others. I'm not there yet, folks. But I know that as a Christian, our job is to keep striving and keep praying and keep trying to serve God. And one day, when we get to heaven, we'll have that. We'll be like Jesus. But as long as we're doing something here on this earth that God wants us to do, we will be blessed. And blessed in Jesus' name, word is better than happy. So if the circumstances don't change, continue to serve God. It's kind of like Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who can give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And he died at 28 years old serving God down in Ecuador as a missionary. So anyway, that's my sermon. And whoever's supposed to do the talk, come on up here. I mean the song.